We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Hey guys, before we get to the episode with Britt, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, which is Circle Rock. Circle Rock is a men's clothing brand that sells all sorts of things from blazers to dress shirts to vests, winter jackets, all that sort of deal. So if you're looking to purchase uh, some sort of menswear for someone in your life or a holiday gift, uh, Circle Rock is a good place to go. You can seek out Circle Rock online at circlerock.com. They are also... um, based locally in Minneapolis and Southwest Minneapolis at Circle Rock's House of Style. If you are wanting to purchase from them, you can use the code ZONE25 today and receive a $25 gift card good for your next Circle Rock purchase. Again, that's the code ZONE25 for $25 off. Now let's get to the show. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. This is our last podcast of 2019, and it's a Monday. Joined in studio by Britt Robson. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. It's always awkward to do the, hey, what's up? Like, we haven't been talking to each other right. for the last hour. Well, traditionally, what we've been doing on Mondays, at least the last three, I think, is going to shoot around, in this case, or practice if it's not a game day. And then um, I drop off my gym bag to go get exercise after the podcast. We get a bite to eat, come back here, and do the podcast. So that's a good hour and 20 minutes together. And then But but I try and intentionally distract those conversations away from the Timberwolves. Exactly. I was just about to say the same thing. Whenever (laughs) we get together and I start to get worked up about something... You say, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Save that. Uh, yes. The thing, well, should we just get to it? I, I was in, in, informed you that, and I don't know. I mean, I think to be fair, we should wait for this, probably your colleague to parse through this, John, a little bit more. But uh, the headline, and it's from The Athletic, and it's Ethan Strauss. Mm-hmm, very good writer. 
Yeah, and not a pretty well not sourced. A, yeah, right, not, not a, a bomb thrower. Right, and and he, I guess, loosely covers the Warriors, mm-hmm. and and he uh, reported that the the Warriors are monitoring the Carl Anthony Towns situation in Minnesota, and he was at the G League showcase in Las Vegas, and said that numerous sources there. Um, are, are, have said that Carl Anthony Towns is unhappy in Minnesota. And I'm, I'm cautious to even, you know, really bring that up and push a snowball down a hill right. when there's a whole bunch of different reasons for an executive to just say that. You would like to think oh, that— Oh, you mean even, other teams, yeah, right. jostling, trying to shake Cat loose from a team. Right. Exactly, you know, because if those— I mean, those executives can plant seeds to, you know— Right. —to ruffle the feathers and all this and that. And, you know— and this I, is a team in discontent pretending it isn't right now. You know what? Let me just read it. Let me okay. just read exactly. Okay, good. It's just a paragraph. This is what Ethan said. Okay. The Warriors have been monitoring Carl Anthony Towns' situation in Minnesota. He's under contract until 2023-24, but has less reason than Antetokounmpo to be thrilled with his team's trajectory. This was a topic among multiple team executives at the recent G League showcase, with a few relaying word that Towns is unhappy in Minnesota. The Wolves currently sit at 13th in the Western Conference, two spots ahead of the Gapier Warriors looking at another lost season. While the Wolves might dream of a scenario where Russell teams up with his good friend Towns, the Warriors have a differing vision of how that trade between those two franchises could shake out. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, so a lot, there's a lot there. I mean, we can take it from the Warriors' standpoint first. What the hell are they going to give the Timberwolves that's going to make that work if they're not going to break things up, you know? Yeah. Um, you know? It, yeah, it I mean, it just it's it's... It, the whole thing sounds like a fantasy from that end. I am going to take it just from the viewpoint that if Carl Anthony Towns is unhappy in Minnesota, then he is leaving himself wide open to be called a big fraud. Sure. I mean, this is Mr. Bahamas pushing it in the media's face after the uh, opening day win that you thought the Bahamas was, was, was a joke, yeah. you know, and all this other stuff. Um and, by the by, not playing defense worth a damn. So he wants his team to be better. Then he needs to start applying himself and sticking to the program at one end of the court because they are grooving things for him at the other end of the court as much as possible. Maybe a little less so since Wiggins has gone off. But still, it is his team um, – he is the leader in the locker room if he's – if again, all the caveats you just mentioned. Sure. It may not be on him at all. But if, in fact, he has anything to do with this, even via his agent, if he hasn't told his agent sure. to shut up, then this is the guy who theoretically anyway, probably more in theory than in practice, is the alpha in the locker room. And so if the alpha in the locker room is after – uh, what is it, 20 what games? 30 games now? 30 games? They're 11 and 19, right? Okay, so after 30 games, three-eighths of the season um, of his 11 and 20, sorry. supposed leadership um, is all of a sudden unhappy, uh, I suggest you play defense, I suggest you get healthy, and I suggest you exert your locker room leadership in a positive direction and... If, in fact, you are unhappy, one of the first places you should go to is the mirror. I, I don't think it's true. I, I just 
the sense of from I mean, I think it could become true. I think this could be a so it could be a, a great disinformation. Maybe the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, for a lot of the things you just listed off. I I, I do think he likes the system. Mm-hmm. I do think he really enjoyed the beginning of the year. I do think when he things did, were good. When things were good, I what I don't think he's done well is deal with adversity, and and been able to right the ship as a leader. I I think I think there's there's reason as there is for most stars in 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 most small markets to get upset and unhappy and eventually force their way out. I, I was I was just thinking, <clears throat> watching the Christmas Day games. You know, I'm watching Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And I just start rolling through my head, and they're playing against LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I just start thinking about the 10, the 10 best players in the league. Pretty much every one of them got unhappy and forced their way out of their team in due time. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not a lock. It doesn't always happen. I mean, there's, the, there's obviously Steph Curry or, or, you know, some of the other ways. Right. But it, it requires elite management, elite coaching, elite culture to cultivate an environment that a star would want to stay in. That's just pure, that's what the NBA tells us over and over again. The Timberwolves do not have that yet. And we don't know if they will have that in the future. So I could see him growing increasingly unhappy or unhappy in time and wanting wanting his way out. But for now, this just seems premature and not not my under not the way I understand this situation to be playing out at well, the moment. First of all, I agree with you that there are definitely reasons to think it's unlikely. Sure. Um, first of all, because I don't think he's that stupid. And I think it would be the height of folly. Um because let's bat back some of the things you just said about elite players. First of all, they've won th- something. You know, not a single playoff series. Mm-hmm. You know, year five. Um, max money, cornerstone of the franchise, got the coach he pushed for. The front office lets him dictate what read and react is Gerson Rosa sat across from you back in uh, October and said our offense is based on how the opponents react to Cat. Mm-hmm. That's their offense. Meanwhile, on defense, they have a set scheme designed to simplify things for him and let him do a couple of things well, and that's it. Now, he may chafe at that, but that's what worked for them in the first few weeks of the season And it has been pretty obvious since he's been out with this injury that the system works when you pay attention to it as a big man. So um, third third in defensive rating the last two weeks are the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah. And also, I would argue— Without cat. And it is without cat. I mean, Uh, that is is one of the huge factors of this, um, is that if you look at— I don't have the uh, stats right on my fingertips right now, but I will say that if you look at minutes, Covington and Gorgie Dieng, mm-hmm. um, uh, two-man lineups at NBA.com stats, 
and uh, over 100 minutes together, uh, the, the best two-man combination in terms of opposing field goal percentage is Jang and Rocco, 41.3, I think it was. You go to Cat and uh, Rocco, and it's one of the worst. Um, that is not E field goal percentage, so you're not doing three-pointers. You're talking about shots in the paint at the rim, mm -hmm. you know, which is where teams who generally have, you know, put it this way, it's what the team, teams, uh, the Wolves are trying to stop with opponents. Their first priority is at the rim. Their second priority is contesting threes. But Cat is responsible for rim protection. And if the field goal percentage is grossly inflated with him on the floor with Rocco, compared to when Deng's on the floor with Rocco or Noah's on the floor, Vonley's on the floor with Rocco, then um, that's on Cat. And so um, all I would say is that if there is a shred of evidence that Carl Anthony Towns is unhappy in Minnesota, and this isn't disinformation, which again is entirely legitimate, but the, the thing is out there now, we're commenting on it, and I will say if there's accuracy to this, then Carl Anthony Towns is demonstrating a lack of leadership, a lack of self-awareness, and some of the narcissism uh, that I've accused him of uh, in terms of being about himself. And also a total lack of patience given <laughs> the that uh, the guy says uh, two months ago, three months ago that, um, hey, we are together through thick and thin. So, you know, so I, end of rant, I guess. I have the stats in terms of effective field goal percentage. Okay. And it, it's just the... It's just the same. The work of of all Timberwolves two man lineups, the worst opponent effective field goal percentage is the Robert Covington and Carl Anthony Towns minutes over a hundred minutes. Five hundred uh, over a hundred minutes. Yeah, they played five hundred and six minutes together. Yep, that's right. And it, the it, best the best is Gorgie Jang and Josh Kogi. Okay, and right next to it is Gorgie Jang and Robert Covington. Yeah, so Kogi is good at contesting the threes, which helps boost that a, a little bit. bit. Right, right. But but yeah, I mean so. That's quite, pretty quite clearly, it's, yes, absolutely. I mean, quite clearly, the defense is better. Miles when, better when when Gorgie is in for sure. And I think uh, now Noah's Vonley's play has been up and like his minutes have been have been Vonley volatile. And but, Rocco together are under a hundred defensive rating. I mean, it's cat. Just, cat is cat is probably the worst defensive option. They can of they the can bigs play. of of the bigs. That's, that's Jordan Bell the, doesn't really play center. No, so, but if we go between Cat Jang and Vonley, exactly. You know, no Bell's Bell's defensive rating is awful too. What people well, he have to plays understand, with Kat. he's played the vast majority of his minutes with Cat, and actually he's better with Cat because they both run around like chickens with the head cuts off, cuts off, <laughs> and they kind of cancel each other out that way. But they would not make it in sustained minutes. Um, look. The Wolves run a disciplined system. That's what it's all about. You break the system too often, the defense breaks. Mm -hmm. um, Josh Okogie just got through telling us today that he's playing the same way on defense that he played last year. Well, somebody ought to check what he's been like. And, you know, it's he's not as good. Um, you have to play the system. He, uh, for... Referencing lineup numbers, I'm 
still trying to put something together on Jarrett Culver, and it's uh, it's amazing how much less effective he's been when when Culver plays with a Kogi compared compared to when a, when Culver plays with Trevion Graham. That's interesting. It's it's because Graham by himself is a is a disaster statistically. So much better than the eye test. The the two lineups Culver's played with most are the the starters, him included with Graham, and then the starters, him included with a Kogi. And it's they are outscoring opponents by fourteen points per hundred possessions when it's with Graham and getting outscored by seventeen points per hundred possessions <laughs> when it's with and those are his two Biggest numbers? Those are the two groups he's played with most. Back, backcourt people. What about Teague versus uh, Napier? That's going to be way too complicated for me to Okay, don't do. worry about <laughs> it. I actually think that... Uh, with, with the with Culver? Yeah. Um, well, now I'm on cleaning the glass, so it's hard. But he... They are scoring a lot less when he plays with Napier than when he plays with Teague. And probably the net rating is better with Teague, too. Part of that is, of course, that um, shooters help him because he can't shoot. I mean, it's a broken record, but it's just it's getting progressively troubling. Oh, uh, Culver, you mean? Yeah. Oh, Culver is uh, – the alarm bells are off now. I mean, they're, they are on however you want to phrase that. But um, – Sixth pick in the draft is playing probably like the twentieth best rookie, and um, if that, I mean, it, oh, it's been a bad class. I'd have to go through it, but yeah, but I mean, also you you have to give him credit for the fact that he knows what he's doing on defense. Sure, yep. defensively he has good instincts. He's progressing, there. and he has good with physicality. He's really in trouble at both ends of the court. Yep, um, where I would say he has a lot of problems um, is people who can crab dribble. People can force double teams on his man by mm-hmm. putting him in the low block right now. Sure. And, uh, you know, and, and this team is not designed for low block double teams. Uh, it's designed to quickly contest things and force things out of people's hands. The the other most underwhelming uh, top pick in this draft would be would probably be Darius Garland. Hmm. Although 8 for 11 the other night. Well, that's where I'm going is uh, not that the Cavs are any good or any, I mean, but he was probably the best player for them sneaky. in that game. He was sneaky good. Sneaky good. And, you know, he let Sexton them. do all the hero ball. Yep. And then when they needed something, he got it. He, I guess my point is Jer Culver hasn't had any of those games. Right. He's played in 30 games this year and he's had zero true needle-moving games. He had, like, maybe one that time when everybody got really excited. Um, I think he hit, like, 8 of 15 and uh, hit some threes. But it was – but every single it time it's course, been right. it's been in a, a tertiary role. And there, there's this season there's been ample, ample opportunity for him to step up. By design. Offensively. Well, I'm just saying, if you just list off the – the missed games for Wiggins, missed games for Towns. But also by design, he has been given every chance to fulfill the things that they hope to see from him. I mean, the, one of the reasons, probably an equal reason to have that whole quote-unquote point Wiggins experiment was to have Culver play next to Wiggins 
and have them both be able to create in the backcourt. One of the things we are finding, I think, you know, it's a stiff competition as to what his most disappointing characteristic is right now. Uh, shooting really has to be number one, but playmaking is right behind it. He is not a playmaker. He, uh, it, his, all of his assist numbers are extremely low in right. that sense. I, I think this is hard to parse when he's playing point guard versus when he's playing shooting guard. Right. Oh, no, I think they're both combo guards. He's a combo. He's never really been a point guard on this team. He, he's listed on, on Clint in the Glass as a combo guard, but if there's anybody I'm going to trust with, of any of the sites to trust with when he's playing point guard versus when he's playing shooting guard, I'm going to trust Clint in the Glass because I they're agree actually with that. Yep, watching because, and parsing it. And also, it's a point guard is its own separate category. So they really make sure that, they know who the point guards are. So what they have is 44% of his minutes have been at point guard, 52% have been at shooting guard, three at small forward. Interesting. Well, it gets more interesting. At point guard, the Wolves' point differential is plus 3.1. At shooting guard, it's minus 9.5. And the the offense is is immensely better. The rebounding better. I mean, so all the things of going bigger is that that's where the advantage is coming and then you put him in the shooting guard when I'm assuming those are all – they're looking at that as minutes with Napier or Teague. Right. And it all – I see where you're going with this. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> De deteriorates. Well, and here's what I would say because I think by the nature of your questions today to uh, uh, Ryan Saunders and some other people during the uh, shoot-around, yeah. um, you want to point out that um, – in a rapid ball movement offense, the point guard should be getting catch-and-shoot opportunities that they are not. And they're not. They are. I said opportunities. I did not say shots. <laughs> <laughs> Teague and Napier, and I'll give Napier some credit. He's chucking them. He's yeah. kind of like Trevion Graham that way. Great shot selection, terrible shot execution. I mean, both of those guys, Jeff Teague, and I'm sure Jeff Teague knows himself, and that's what he's going by. But if you draw things up, Jeff Teague's shot selection is one of the worst I've ever seen. Right up there with Bielitsa. You know, I mean, in terms of turning uh, down open ind Indecisive. Looks. Except it's Decisively not in indecisive. I think that Jeff Teague knows when he doesn't want to shoot and when he does want to shoot. And the moments when he doesn't want to shoot are far outweighing when he does want to shoot. And the moments when he does want to shoot oftentimes totally contravene the system. He basically wants to take the ball off the dribble, drive through three people and draw the foul or perhaps even score. But meanwhile, space and pace, again, out the window. I mean... It is an indictment on the roster that he's still, by leaps and bounds, their most effective point guard. But he also is sabotaging yeah. the future. They can't get rid of him soon enough in terms of if they want to solidify things and if we're going to eat this series of poison pills for the rest of the season, it would be nice to think that it was being done for not, future not, health. Not getting those 
double losses that you're talking about, that you've talked about where it's the... You don't do the system and you still get your ass handed to you. Exactly. And that's a lot of what happens when Jeff Teague is on the floor. Let me uh, read you this Shabazz Napier, Shabazz Napier quote from yesterday, yesterday I practiced you. you yeah, I there. missed it. Nope. Um, he said, this offense is all about pace. It sucks because I can't stress this enough. We're shooting awful from the three-point line. And it makes no sense because we've worked tremendously hard on that. For me personally, it's frustrating. I feel like I'm a practice player because I make my threes in practice. I don't make my threes in games, which is confusing me. I've never been on this end of the spectrum of not making shots. Uh, I, he's always been a stand-up guy. He'll be a coach someday, I think. I think he's really a smart guy. Um, and he's absolutely right, of course. But, I mean, if there was anybody, I tweeted out for all the thousands of people who follow me on Twitter who wanted to watch me make a fool of myself. Um, I said that Gorgie Jang and Shabazz Napier were, were primed for a big game just before the Cavs game. Yeah. And if there was one player who personally put a bullet in the head of the team in that game, it was Shabazz Napier. So not that I, I don't think, I'm not saying that he isn't smart enough to, to figure this out on his own, but, but, I think the reality of the situation is in practice, they're running the system in practice. They're asking to shoot these specific types of shots and come game time. The shots that Shabazz is taking are not the shots he's taking right in, in practice. So not all three point shots are created equally. Obviously it's different practice to a game defenders, all that, but the style of looks he's taking. It's yeah. Just what I asked Ryan today is Shabazz's shots are, Un, his makes are unassisted. It's like 75% of his makes this year are unassisted. And, and and that's because he is in the situation of, okay, this possession broke down. We didn't create anything in our four out, five out, whatever look. And now he's, you know, he's creating for himself. And in that Cavs game, I mean, how many times was it, was he taking James Harden type step backs? Or driving and getting lunched. He got a shot blocked a lot in that game. And he's, he, Shabazz commented on that yesterday too. It, it, he's tiny. Yes, he's he's tiny, and, and so it's so. So the thing is, is I, I mean, obviously he should be held accountable for really poor shooting this year, and he's holding himself accountable for it. Just but persistently bad shooting. He's a, never had even like a little boomlet where he's shot well. And I, I think a lot of it is what the you know the the system is how the system is breaking down and the shots it's leading him. To take, I mean, he's the he's the bullet eater of it broke down. Um, it, I'm probably the best creator on the floor right now, or one of them, and now I've got to go look for my own shot, and it ends up it ends up wrecking your you know effect shooting effect. And and Ryan Saunders talked about this today at the press conference when I I basically asked him if um, that you can't change mechanics in the middle of a season. You can't overhaul people's shots. And he went big on the whole confidence thing, which is totally accurate. Uh, actually, I thought Ryan was great today, by the way. Mm -hmm. I thought that he gave us a lot of really good stuff. Um, I totally agree with that, by the way, his, his answer to that question that, yes. that he gave you. Like, as, as much as I'm, I have ripped on Culver Culver's first. shot right. or Okogie's shot. You can't change Culver now or Okogie now. You've got to wait. I, I think, though, that Jarrett has taken some upon himself, where, where if you look at where his – it's still a bad motion, but right. it's um, it's condensed a little bit. 
and and that he he's releasing it he's releasing it from the same place every time, which I don't think he was doing at the beginning of the season. Now he, he he's he's tweaked the way he's like catching the ball a little. I mean, I think it's only natural for him to be like I. I got to do something a little bit different. Right. I got to con- control this. So, I, and I, he's probably not doing that on his own. So, I do think they're adding in tweaks to his mechanics. But as far as like a full-on overhaul, you, you can't do that in you the middle of an NBA season. So, what I was going to talk about in terms of confidence, Ryan was right to stress confidence. It's one thing, and one of the things that you pointed out at the beginning of the season, one of your optimisms for. Napier's offense was the way he's worked in a two-guard system before. Mm-hmm. The other guard oftentimes is nailing stuff. Well, he Lillard is, and Russell. He is the guy that people don't pay attention to. And so um, either he gets the side feed, you know, because Lillard, McCollum, those guys are used to passing to each other. Yeah. And Russell, it's part of the system that you re-pick and roll or whatever you go from the high perimeter or whatever. Um, I think Napier's shots weren't as important to the outcome of the game or as important to the overall scheme as they are now. And I also think that um, he's not getting nearly the same looks because if you're playing next to Culver or Okogie, are you kidding me? I mean, Well, that's what I was going to say. It was particularly great in Portland. Right. And what they would do is – which is now becoming kind of in vogue in the league. You look at the, the Clippers last year playing three-point guards. You look right. at the Thunder this year playing three-point guards. The, the Blazers, when when Napier was there, they played a lot of McCollum Lillard, too. McCollum, and Napier all together. Right. So then Napier becomes the third guard that teams, you're right, are rightfully paying the least attention to. But and that also is completely you can't different. hide a wing that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of teams hide a high-scoring wing on the worst wing. If you well, play three really good offensive point uh, guards. Did you notice who, who Golden State had guarding Okogi? Draymond. Yeah. And in day off, ready to roam. <laughs> well, he was roam. I mean, it, right. it was Wiggins. Wiggins had to get through his man, nail help. Then deal with. Plus deal with Draymond at the rim. Right. I right. mean, it's. Uh, right. That's not going to work. I mean, right. like what would. What would Paul George even do in that situation? Right. It's it's not that the the guy who is at the uh, you know the Kai Bowman or whoever is guarding. Right. It's just three bodies. It's three bodies you got to get through. Right. And it's it's a, it's extremely difficult. So I I don't know. Do you think obviously Rosas in the front office was aware of the notion that this was going to be a team that didn't have a lot of shooters? I think it's been worse than they anticipated. Far worse. And I wonder if in retrospect they're questioning how much this is costing them mm. by not having by not having shooters. Costing the development of a Wiggins, costing the development costing of the a, momentum too of the fan base. I mean I that's I mean, for, that's for he sure. He is thing. keenly Rosas is is he's got a PR gene. Let's not forsake that at all right now. Uh Rosas knows, and, and you know, and all Ryan does it too. He does exactly what Tibbs did and his father did. You know, praise the home crowd for their enthusiasm, which you know is a bit of a joke. It's kind of like, you know, praising a guy who comes up for you know the Kate Bates Diop boomlet. Now we have mm-hmm. the Keelan Martin boomlet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You know, the Wolves crowd is kind of like that. They can give you a good game every six, but the other five suck. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, it, it it's not a home court advantage. They are not knowledgeable fans oftentimes, or at least the knowledgeable fans don't voice with volume what they regard as good or bad. But clarify that because I know I, from other conversations, oh, yeah, we have you know to, that, we, we, that there are yeah, I know. plenty of, of knowledgeable fans. Believe they just me. might not yeah. be the ones. Yeah, they're probably yeah. not the ones in the arena or if they're like me, when I go to a basketball game, you know, to be fair here, I don't, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a yeller. I'm a watcher. Sure. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is, I grew up in Boston, and, you know, Boston's got its share. You know, it's an asshole city in many, many respects. Um, but their basketball fans know the game inside and out, and they they explain what they feel inside and out. Um, and that's a home court advantage. Sure. When you can have, and Golden State had it for, you know, when Golden State wasn't very good, it was fun to listen to them because they were smart fans. Um, Portland has smart fans. Mm-hmm. Um and so, listen, there are so many people who respond to my comment section uh, and have been ever since I was at the city pages. Um, there are hundreds of really cool basketball fans in this town. But if we're talking about who fills up the Target Center and how they respond, it is not yeah. what I would – it would not be in the top half, perhaps not the top two-thirds of uh, – intelligence, IQ, and loudness are the two things you probably want in a fan base, and they're not there at either one. It's, uh, I mean, like back when I was in college, long before I was writing, I, you know, I, I always liked, even you know, Beasley days, whatever, like, I like to go watch the games live. Uh-huh. And it was obviously low times, but the ticket market was also very different. That's very true. That's, that's, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that's the pushback I get when I've, you know, I've ripped the atmosphere at Target Center in the past. Um, and that's the best defense I've heard is this, uh, this seat exchange policy yeah. that keeps tickets artificially high. That's real. Because if you want to go see, if you love basketball, I mean, there's a, I've been a, a, Timberwolves beat writer since 1990. It isn't because I love the Timberwolves necessarily. I love NBA basketball. That's what sustains me mm-hmm. in the bad times. So you get to go watch really good players, the best athletes in the world playing the best game in the world, regardless of what your quote-unquote team is. But if you're going to wind up paying you know, $45 well, for a $50 seat – Rather than you used to be able to get that ticket for twelve. Well, that on the that was this, that was like the, I mean, I was a broke kid in college, so the the line we and I would literally go on eBay to to get tickets back then, and and the rule we would always say if we can get tickets for single lower level for under ten bucks, we'd go. Right. And if it was more than that, and I, I went to a lot of games. Right. You know, and and so I, I think about that. You know, they are the not twenty one year old fan base. Right? Yeah, yeah, like. What is what is that college kid doing right now? If that's, you know, if that's if that's fifty dollars, because John Meyer, who sits next to me mm-hmm. also at at the games, right along Press Row, you're one over from Andy Grimsrud. That's the four of us there. Um, murderers uh, Row. Yeah, yeah, Murderers Row. Um, it's cynical city. Uh, but uh, we got to get we got to sometime when you're on. And I know Andy works during the day, but we got to we got to do one with Andy. Yeah, Andy's great. Mm-hmm. He's cynical. 
Yeah. Um, but so I bet that, yeah. John was saying college night back in the day used to yeah. be $10 a month, I think he said, or something like that. It was, yeah. It was, it was a flat fee for an extended period of time, and, and he and his friends used to go all the time as a group, and it was probably upper bowl. But one of the things about upper level that I can say, you know, having occasionally sat in a hockey press box, you know, back in the day when I wasn't as highly credentialed as I am now, and, uh, you know, the Jeremy Lin people came or somebody yeah. came, Magic came to town or something, or Bird came to town – is you get to see from the top down, you really get a good X's and O's. It is literally moving X's and O's. Right. It's like a chalkboard down there, you know, and, and the people, the X's and O's are actually moving, so you get to see what happens. So that's kind of cool in small doses. I, I wouldn't want to do it every game. But, uh, you know, this, this anytime you're in an NBA arena, it's a good thing. I, what, what I have heard to, you know, to play the other side of it, because I've done some asking around about this, and the difference as I understand it is the NBA is, is has done more to enforce a price floor themselves stupid. on on the t- oh, stupid but i'm just saying this isn't all this isn't exclusively right. them gouging it prices it is the wolves dumbness it's the nba I mean, they dumbness. would want people there like right. why wouldn't why wouldn't you want 20,000 people there for 5 bucks rather than right. 10,000 people there for 10 bucks. Better to have a bullshit preseason or midseason tournament. I mean, come on. Oh, Something's going on. The league, the league is, league used to be really smart, you know. Well, I would say David Stern is rolling in his grave, but he's not. <laughs> Dude, oh, no, I was gonna say, I I hate the idea of the the preseason tournament as well. I do think it, it, this was, you know, a conversation over the holidays I was having, you know, with my my brothers who are a lot younger than me is is just about about where the league is though from from that standpoint you know we were talking about the midseason tournament we're talking about you know all this reporting about the the games being watched less and less and and my youngest brother's like the NBA is in the greatest spot ever you know Instagram Twitter I mean you can you can get it all there and 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 fans have so much more exposure to the whole league than they ever have before like the high the, you know those the highlights yes. everything it, it's out there but that is in the games, and that is not monetizable in the way that the television broadcasts are. And we do not want to bite-size the games anymore. I mean, they- but that's what's happening. You want, you want to talk about what's happening. I mean, that, that's, that's the problem. And, and, and you and I are a little, like, you know, too highfalutin, you know, watching Organic of- games, though. Organic. If, if, if you want to understand basketball— and maybe some people don't, and I get that too. I mean, there is the casual fan you're trying to bring in, um, and they're the ones, you know, who buy their son the jersey or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it is like the it's it's the AAU phenomena on fandom. Sure, you know, you get to cherry pick the cool things and ignore the fundamentals. You know, and so. Uh, you, you and I were just were just talking about this before at lunch was, and I, I maybe too far, but but I go completely to the other side of the spectrum. I only watch full games. I don't. Mm, I'm not a. Yeah. I'm. I mean, not never, but rarely am I a hop around watch the fourth quarter of this game, the fourth that one. Right. Because for me, and this is just my subjective, what I like is I like watching the the arc of a game, the whole thing play out, right. I, and I think it's for me. 
particularly in my job, I think it's a way to familiarize myself with, with I think it's, a, it's, it's unequivocally the best way to familiarize yourself with what player X is. What Spencer didn't, you know, I watched right. the Brooklyn game last right. night. Like, I have a... I have such a better idea of what Spencer Dinwiddie is from watching him play the full 48 minutes I of that game that. than I would yep. if I would have watched six fourth quarters of the Nets over the past month. You just you get a better grasp of that. But I understand there's other people out there. First of all, there's a ton of people who who live here in Minnesota. They're not paying 200 bucks for league pass. Mm-hmm. I right. totally get that. Right. And they don't and they don't have the time to right. to be able to to di- go, you know, dig into a Brooklyn Nets game. Right. And their fan, I mean, for me, since I've started covering basketball, my, all the rest of my fanhoods died. I used to be a huge baseball fan. I don't watch baseball anymore. I mean, it's to really consume the NBA, you got to cut out a lot of other parts of entertainment. So there's just, there's just multiple different factors you're kind of wrestling against. It just, I, my opinion is it's gotten way too bite sized. Yes. Where all the casual fan now knows. Is the is the bite-sized version of the game? Whereas that same casual fan back in two thousand five, the only exposure they really had was the Lakers playing the Bulls right, on exactly. on Sunday national TV. Right. But at least in that setting, they watched that whole game, or they were watching more. There multiple bites to that, and it's it's just different. I don't I don't know. I don't have obviously. I don't have an answer for how would it, the best way to correct it? I really think a mid-season tournament and all that stuff, it's it's not what I would want. Mid-season tournament is just a bad, bad idea. Seat floors are a bad, bad idea. This league should be a lot smarter about how to grow passion in your fan base. Um, Particularly for the Timberwolves, whose fan base is downtrodden. Right. They, more than any team in the NBA, need to figure out that element of it because... It's bleak. Right. And when I hear that the answer is like uh, gamer leagues, you know, that to me is just a way to add on to your fan base. It's not a way to grow your fan. I mean, there's a difference. I do not think there's a tremendous amount of crossover. And I could be wrong. And anybody who thinks I am, please let me know because my sense of things is people who are so into video games – that they are playing NBA 2K. 2K as a competitive league now sponsored by the NBA or connected mm-hmm. to the NBA is not into the NBA per se. Well, that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's bandwidth, right? If you're doing spending that time, then that's time you're not going to be able to spend on the actual NBA product. Yeah. So I'm totally with you. The, the thing, again, back back in the day, Going and buying when these cheap tickets. <laughs> well, you know, it was because I, I had these $8 tickets to sit lower level. And right. It was still very sparse. Yes. And the thing I would always talk about with my friends was I think, and th- this is, you know, years after the KG has been gone. Right. And, you know, me, I'm that age where that, I grew up with that, that, you know, KG is my favorite. When I was a kid, when I was a little kid playing basketball, KG was the guy, you know, mm-hmm. and I had that connection to the fan base because of KG and it, it pulled things along. This kids now don't, don't have that one because they're not going to the games because it's too expensive. And maybe just cause KG's not here. But the, the thing I always said back then is the upper level should be free for kids. Great idea. The dad, like you make, make dad a pay. screen in front, maybe 
Well, make it's got to got to come with a parent or whatever. Right. But but dad and and his three boys. Right. He dad pays fifteen twenty dollars for his upper level ticket, and the kids can go for free. You got to find a way for those kids to connect. Right. To the product, so that when they're fifteen, when they're twenty five, when they're thirty five, they have something to connect to. Because, I, I mean, if it weren't for KGA, if it weren't for that, I don't think I would have had the connection to, you know, mm-hmm. to the to the Timberwolves. And I think I'm. As a lot of people in their twenties or thirties, I think it's the same way for them, and it's it is just a massive uphill battle for for this Wolves front office business department because I, I mean, wouldn't you say this has been shockingly porous attendance wise? You mean attendance and connection to the team this year? I I think that it started well. I think that. I think tactically they did not send enough signals that it was going to be a rebuilding year. I think that was one of the errors they made. Um, and you know what? I, I think I think that Rosas did. I think Cat didn't. Cat definitely didn't, right. And I think Rosas didn't sufficiently. Um, but, I mean, it wasn't too hard, I don't think, to figure out that um, – they just didn't have it. I mean, Wiggins is twice the player I thought he was going to be, and they're still 11 and 19 or 20, oh, 11 yeah. and 20. Um, I had them for 34 wins. I still think they may get there. I don't think this is – I don't think that, you know, they're going to continue to play 100 basketball for the rest of the way. Right. You know, one out of every 10 games they win. Um, but I think they're in a trough, and I think it's – the longer they're in the trough, the more tanking becomes tantalizing and the more tanking becomes tantalizing, the more even if you don't necessarily want to tank, you kind of are tanking because it's so desultory. It's just crazy, though. I mean, we're so early in the season to be talking about tanking, though. Well, I've been here before. I mean, I've seen uh, the Kurt Rambis teams. um, You would say those teams were actively tanking 25 games in the season? I would not say, well, I mean, actively. They're not actively tanking now, I don't think. But I think that you see where the lay of the land is. Um, A team that's starting Trevion Graham is not tanking, in my opinion. I mean, they certtainly are. That's a good point. 11 and 8 with him as a starter. You know that? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great stat. Yeah, he'll that, bring that, that, that to is, his next free agent contract. That, that's 0-12 when he comes off the bench. That's just saying. <laughs> that is, that's a wonderful stat. I mean, because just uh, this is a great sidebar for a minute because <laughs> he is fun to watch on the court. I, I mean. He's your type of player for sure. Well, no, he, I mean, he me too, understands yeah. defense. He plays pick and roll as well as anybody on the team in terms of how he adjusts the screens. Did a great knows, job on Buddy Hill. That's he, he that knows was when huge. to blow up screens. He knows when to elide screens. He knows when to switch early so that the other guy switching is on the man in time. And when he gets switched on to a big, he fights like a son of a gun. And so, meanwhile, so that's one cool aspect of him. Another cool aspect of him that is tragicomic is he always shoots the right shot. He catches it in rhythm. He's wide open. 
He manages to move without the ball to the right places. People yeah. don't see him often enough or now increasingly see him and decide not to pass it to him anyway. But he is continually playing basketball intelligently. Right. Um, and he can't shoot. He no. is missing. I mean, one of the reasons why people think that Trevion Graham is shooting worse than Culver and worse than Okogie is because they are such momentous misses. You just look at it and go, how did he miss that shot? <laughs> and that's a tribute to Trevion Graham that you're even saying that about him, you know? I mean, the fact that he has maneuvered himself into a wide-open position now increasingly, people are literally just ignoring him so he's wide-open easier. Oh, there's been some great clips of that. <laughs> I bet there have been. But my point is, I understand why he's a coach's dream. I understand why both an offensive and a defensive coach wouldn't would flirt with the idea of him being on the court defensively much more than offensively. But the numbers don't lie. And he... 23.1% from three. Yeah. And is that higher than Culver? Culver's 24-0. Oh, it's a competition. Uh, what about Okogie? Um, Okogie Like 28 is... or something. 27-4. Okay, there Napier's you go. Napier's 21-5. Ah, he's over Napier. Okay, that's because Napier went like 0 for 7 the last game. But think of that. So we have four key players in the backcourt all under 28%. Yeah, it's and, and you're playing a, a system that, I mean, they're about like designed, four, four from three-point attempts those. per right, game. Right, right, right. So another thing I asked Ryan about today, too, is as – Mostly after Shabazz's comments yesterday, I was like, you know, I'm going to try and write something on the, the shooting of this team. And, you, you know, you just kind of start digging through all the shooting stats. The Wolves take a crazy high amount of open threes. Yes, they do. I mean, comparatively to it's 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 a self-fulfilling prophecy now. It's it's them. Dallas and Houston who take the most open or wide open as NBA.com, you know, Clarifies so Houston, it. obviously, is because everybody's on Harden. Well, they're, yeah, Houston is literally they they every triple team, team Harden and then let everybody they, they else try I to mean, beat him. What a Rockets game is is the it is so wild to watch a Rockets game. Right. It's it reminds me so much of like sixth grade traveling basketball where there's this one kid who's hit puberty and is bigger and better than everyone else, and they just and you just say. As soon as he crosses half court, double team him, which is completely mortgaging the in, entirety of the floor. You are gifting a wide open shot to someone at that point, and, it, and it's I, I've never I've never seen anything like that at at any level of I don't even think I mean maybe high school basketball or something right like college you wouldn't even see it. it's it's Houston is simultaneously. It's so fascinating hard to watch. and the most boring team in the league right. to watch. It's okay. So there's that, and then Dallas Doncic is is brilliant at drive and kick. Probably the best drive and kick guy in the league now. Sure. I mean that's in his second year. Is he 20 yet? Um, yeah, I think something like that. And so, and then the Wolves, you know, and also Chris Stapps. When you're seven two, everything. Sometimes open. you do well. I mean, no. you certainly don't want to jam them at the line. I mean, at the arc. Because he, if he can get around you, say goodnight, you know. And he doesn't shoot well enough still, I mean, to do that. The 
So that's good. It's good that the shots they're getting, the wolves' shots that they're getting are open. Well, that's what they can tell themselves. But I mean, I'm I'm literally, if you're digging for nuggets here, it would be even worse if if they were be getting bad threes. They're getting quote unquote good threes, Trevion Graham threes, right? Yeah, yes, I know. And 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 that's progressing. But the reason the shooting has fallen off even more from there is that the shots they're getting are less frequently catching shoots. They're more frequently pull-ups. They're more frequently coming off of numerous dribbles, oftentimes from the point guard the, position. The ball movement has been really disappointing during this Dismal. losing streak. I, and I was watching Brooklyn last night, which is what the Wolves what are the, supposed yeah, to be. It's the template. Right? And wa- watch this t- tonight, or you know, if, if you're listening to this before, watch Spencer Dinwiddie and, and the way he drives, kicks, and re- replaces himself on the right, perimeter. Right. It's... I've never, I've literally never seen a Timberwolves player do it. It and it's just about being decisive at every single, decisive with your first dribble, decisive with your pass, decisive with your relocation. Buddy Heald's great at that too, and I don't, I don't know why that doesn't happen. Well, one reason is because your point guard is not a decisive point guard. Sure. And he's the guy who's got the ball when it matters. I mean, Teague doesn't start now, but he's always in the game in the fourth quarter. Secondly, plays a ton. You are not having Cat around, you know, anymore. And he is the fulcrum for everything he wanted to do to begin with. And then thirdly, Wiggins has become somebody who has been blessed with the idea that he is a playmaker. And that was great for a while. But Increasingly, what you see is Wiggins deciding, and it's not even necessarily an inaccurate decision. It's just not a good system decision. If I go to the rim against three people, I have as good a chance of finishing as I do if I pass. But that's what I'm saying. Wiggins is my – and I have been very on the record of positive of Wiggins this year, and I think deservedly so. But he – what he doesn't do in those drive and reposition situations is that's – the laziness we've always talked about with Andrew right, Wiggins, right. that still exists. Where he drives in, second defender comes, he has to he gets to the nail, he has to kick, and then and then he stops. Right. And he floats. What he needs to do there is all right, drive and kick. I kick I kicked it to a Kogi, I land, I sprint back out above the break. Right. That that well, never Kogi ha- does do that, which is interesting. Well Kogi, I mean, for all of Kogi's warts, he's, he's not lazy. No, not at all. And actually in fairness to Wiggins, because you know I've ripped him just constantly until the season when he he flipped me around to once again hopping to the other side of the fence. He tries as hard on defense on the perimeter as anybody on the team. Which he is huge development. He is blocking shots. Yep. Uh, he's a six eight force. He's Dwayne Wade out there in terms of blocking shots, not in terms of anything else. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to compare yeah, yeah. him to Dwayne Wade, except when it comes to blocking jump shots, which is. Very rare in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He may even lead the league over the last five uh, weeks or so. Um, anyway, I, I, I want to give it up to Wiggins' defense because it it is something I see him do. Credit Vanterpool. Yeah, and, and credit himself. Yeah, pro- but yeah, I would definitely say that's true. And then one more thing I want to say about the offense because Ryan, who has been giving us good stuff in this in this interim, and thus. Um, I'm less inclined to rip him, um, even though obviously right. you know this losing streak. Eh, losing streaks on the system and, and on injuries and everything else. Right. But you know he he isn't absolved from blame. 
But one of the things he said about Jeng the other day, I don't know if you were there or not, um, one of the things that has been a real positive on offense when it comes to Gorgie is he'll run the pick and roll, and when he's the roll man... He saw that today. Or he alluded to it today. Okay, when he's the roll man, though, and the play doesn't happen, he goes to the corner. Mm. And that's a corner three. Cat doesn't do that. First of all, Cat is a lousy pick and roll guy. Cat chooses to repost. Or to post, not repost. Right, right. And, and he also doesn't sprint to the corner. Now, I think some of that is Cat loves putbacks and loves to get the offensive rebound, yep. which, you know, there's, a, there's, a, on that. there's something for that. But if Cat ran a pick and roll well and then sprinted to the three-point line in the corner when it didn't pan out, then that sustains the system of keeping lanes open for people who want to drive, spreads the floor, magnetizes a corner, which is great in a half-court offense. If you get two guys guarding somebody in a corner, you should have a good shot somewhere. Um, I just wish I saw him do more of that. um, Why do you think he doesn't? I think that habits are really hard to break. I mean, we're seeing... A reversion to his particularly bad, when you're losing bad defensive habits. Yeah, and also, I think he's. I just think he likes above the break threes. I just think that's there's something about that. He maybe, actually maybe you feel a little bit more involved in the action, like in the corner. You, you feel like you're sitting in the corner. If, if you think about uh, that's a very good point in terms of his ego. I think that's that's definitely maybe something there. But if you notice, almost everything Cat does is uh, paint block out to the perimeter paint block if you just drew a straight line, you know, parallel lines. He doesn't go to the wing very often. If he goes to the wing at all, it's to make a quick three or something or to hit a cutter in the middle. But most of his cutting has never been baseline. It's always been up the middle. And most of his pick and roll action has been not wing yeah. or baseline oriented. He just likes to be straight on with the basket. It, it's it's hard. Um, he's hard for me to like analyze in this system because I think everything else, at least what I've tried to do, and I think effectively so, is is draw parallels to other teams. You know, when we look uh-huh. at this defensive right. system, it's easy to look at what Portland did, and you could watch a lot of right. Nurkic. And then on the the offensive side, you could look at you know Brooklyn. Where, you know, right. that's right. where the, a lot of the tenets of this are going. And as I just you know compared Wiggins to the Dinwiddie role, all that, it's very hard to compare it with as it pertains to Cat because, because he's an no, extraordinary big man. And and to, I mean Brooklyn didn't do that at all. They didn't have a stretch big. Right. Whatsoever. There isn't one, right? And and if any team was even playing something similar, Brooke Lopez, maybe. Yeah, it's just I think, yeah. It, I mean, it does, it, that's a little bit different. I guess Atlanta it's did it with Horford and. Um, They're um, more methodical. Yeah, but when Atlanta won sixty games, and actually Jeff T was on that team, um, Millsap and Horford both shot a lot of threes and mm-hmm. and did a lot of Brooklyn esque. Yeah, maybe. Of, and Corver, they did a lot of four and five out uh, right. on that team. In fact, yeah, he, Horford, Horford, I guess is a just in general a good comparison. Horford, I think we, I would maybe been on with you last year before this whole new system came on, where I said if you want a template on how to use Cat, mm-hmm. look at what Boston does with Horford, and lo and behold, 
they are doing that this year. Yeah, but th- th- that totally brings up one. Th- so, so Cat very ineffective. Or, or just the pick and roll. Him as a role man is not a big part of the offense, right? No. It just leads to, it just leads to post ups for him. Like he just kind of meanders down, and they they feed him in the post. Right. What I loved about Boston with Horford and and with and with Kyrie is side pick and rolls. They were because so, you when you're on the side there, it's basically two on two. Right. And and those two ate together. Yes. Like I would I would love to see some of that. Like with Wiggins. With, with well, yeah, but then then it comes to, I mean Wiggins has this massive propensity to reject screens, mm-hmm. and and he's not. So the, does Teague. So does Teague. It, it, it's not the. So who is it then? Because they're those are the two guys who can choose. Right. Well, it's which is just. Yeah, I just there there are more, and this is a big reason why I just I guess want to Lehman, see Cat back. We're back to the Jake yeah, Lehman. Where Lehman have you gone? Lehman can't initiate a, a as the ball handler with with Cat in a pick and roll. Right. I don't know. There's just there is a lot more to see of Cat this year, and one can only hope. Well, I, that's what I'm saying. Assuming that, I mean, I don't know with this with this knee thing. He he certainly is walking around in the time we see him. Right. Way way better than he, I mean he was super ginger you know before Christmas he's gotten better very right. much limping I mean he's out taking shots and stuff I and he's been out for winnable games I lot. mean that's one of the things that's interesting if we were mm-hmm. if the Wolves were in a murderer's row right now you'd go you know why why bring Cat up against you know guys who are going to beat him up they're going to lose the game um, but we get back to. Um, that game where they played Cleveland without Wiggins and Cat. My first question. My first, uh, yeah. My first question to Ryan after that game though was, can you really play the system with those two guys out? I mean, no. how is that a system? It wasn't. I mean, we saw what happens. What? What? Like, literally, the, the answer to that would have to be, we need to have Nas Reed or something to to somebody who can play the cat because the cat piece is so critical. The it's system. the read and react. Yeah, and and I mean Nas is like nineteen and probably couldn't. Right. I, I'm interested in him, but but it's just yeah. If you don't have a, a cat piece, I mean it's Gorgie or it's Noah. Like it's a whole new. It's a different game. Although Gorgie is using some of the cat stuff in interesting ways. He's shooting. <laughs> yeah, but I mean yeah. also uh, some of the high pick and roll action. Gorgie is loving the idea that the, he's in the sets. He remember he never used to be in <laughs> he the never sets. Used to be involved. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, I I uh, first of all, amidst all this crap, mm-hmm. you know, bad basketball that this team has been playing, Gorgie Jang and Noah Vonley have been fun to watch. Sure. They are a couple of pros that were eating the table scraps that got knocked off from Cat's plate, and now Cat is out. And it could be pretty ferocious between them. I think there is a stiff competition. They're both proud people, and Vonley doesn't have a deal next year, and Gorgie has got the pride of thinking that he's tired of being told he's got a bad contract. So I think there's a lot of pride in competitive level, but... They are sharing their minutes. They're, yeah. they're uh, bucking up for each other. Um, 
And they are demonstrating, and one of the things I asked Ryan after practice today or before practice, I guess it was, whatever, maybe they didn't even practice. <laughs> Whenever it happened, it shoot around today, um, you know, uh, is this whole idea, are you, are you showing Cat the films of these games? Right, I like where that Where Gorgie and Vonley are bringing this defensive rating down, yeah. down, down to under 100 uh, – points per possession, 100 possessions sometimes, under one point per possession. Um, and he did say, I mean, that, that that's why we don't have guys doing rehab outside the team and why we have centers, wings, point guards all meet as units with a coach to go over film. Um, so because Cat, when Cat returns, he should implement defensively all the things that he sees other these guys doing. Vonley playing the mid, the middle in, in pick and roll coverage, and the way that Gorgie's defending the rim. If he could, if Cat could grasp onto kind of those right those two tenets of it, then he would. I mean, well, you <laughs> saw against be, Cleveland, for example, um, the first time Vonley was on the floor, he went for the roll man, and somebody burned him on a lob. Yeah, Thompson, right? Yeah, that's right. It was I think maybe Sexton Thompson. Yep. Um, Never again the rest of the game. And they tried about three lobs. In fact, one time, actually two plays in a row, they went lobs to Thompson, and he got killed one of those times where Thompson came down on him. But he was not going to get burned on lobs again. And we were talking about this at the last game too, and if you are one of the few fans who comes down to Target Center to watch these games, it's fun to watch and listen to Noah Vonley play defense because he knows what every single team's play is. That's right. He, I, I mean, it, maybe maybe other players do, but he vocalizes it. And he and wasn't in Cleveland. No, he wasn't. I mean, he's been with a lot of teams. So he did play Cleveland a lot when he was with the Knicks. I mean, there's, well, it's, it isn't exclusive to the Cleveland game. Right. He, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly what that is, but he appears to be studying. He's watching watching a, film, right? A, a, a lot. A lot you know, a, a lot more. And Gorgie, Gorgie himself, too, is a, a very good communicator. Great communicator. Um. And and those are two things I would also say that they are levels ahead of Cat in yes. you know defensively right and this is always I I think I probably sat in this very seat and talked about this in the past but um, there is a great question to be answered it's kind of a chicken or the egg kind of thing um, when you're the center you're the point guard of the defense to some extent because it's yep. inverted. So, you know, you're the, you're the last line of defense as opposed to the, the, the prong of the offense. Um, and what you call for coverages is what everybody has to do. So is it better to call something quickly that may be wrong, mm-hmm. but at least everybody's on the same page? Sure. Or do you wait and everybody's kind of going, well, you know, and, and somebody, probably Rocco or somebody else, says – this is the defense we're in because this is what's happening or this is the switch we may have to make or whatever. Um, Solid is enough. It is so hard when there is a pause in recognition of coverages. And one of the things that you just brought up, which I think is a very good point, is that Gorgie and Vonley recognize things quickly. When something is developing in the half court, they call it out. Yeah. Um, and Cat, I think, 
I, th- I, I, I think he does not call it out, and I go back and forth between thinking that's a good thing or a bad thing. Because if he's calling out the sure. wrong thing, it's a hard thing, right. you know, especially in a team that is so system oriented to go with the basics. If you set defense principles A on this thing and they're running B, right. you know, on the other hand, if you wait to call B and everybody is waiting to figure out what to do, you know, the worst of both worlds, I guess. Yeah. I, anyway, he, he gets back to my, this is today's, today's theme is Carl Anthony Towns needs to get his shit together on defense. I agree with you. That's Britt Robson. I'm Dane Moore. That'll be all for us today. Um, Britt's ever-elusive David Vanterpool piece is maybe coming, coming up. Out. Yeah, actually, I think it um, – I keep on, you know, the more information you get, the more it helps, you know, sure. uh, inform it. But it, uh, hopefully – I didn't want to – you know, it, it was going to be treated with hoots and derision when they were – I mean, I when I was in the middle of writing it is when – the Lakers just absolutely torched them. I mean, it was one of those things where you go, "Oh yeah, I'm going to write about the team's defense now." I think it's I think it's interesting to throw in a wrinkle about. I mean, it's, the defense has been good the past couple defense weeks. Defense has been really good, and it's a lot of it has to do with what Vanderpool is doing and what the team is doing, and it also points to the players subscribing to it and players who don't, and what happens when they don't. So that'll come out sometime this. In the new year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Or maybe even before then. What is it? We got two more days, 48 hours? Know, th- yeah, nah, probably we'll it'll be second or third. Um, yeah, until then, um, we'll be, I'll be back on on Thursday, and we'll, we'll keep rolling with this Wolves team and <laughs> seeing. There's always good things to say. Yeah, no, there, I mean. Or bad things to say, but, that, you know. There, there's never, I, I think the games can be, um, can drag a little bit when, when the t- obviously when the team is playing this poorly, but I do think there's never a shortage of things to kind of to dig into. It's always information. There's always information. So until next time, again, that's Britt at Britt Robson. He writes at The Athletic. I'm Dane Moore. See you next time. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.